podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So, hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Pirate Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, Enda Fahey, and I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, Hugh Griffin. Hugh, how are things, mate? Enda, I'm absolutely fantastic. I'm excited to start this new project with you, uh, talk about lots of rugby and uh, share our passion with the masses. Great stuff, mate. So, who are we and what is the Pirate Rugby Podcast? We are two rugby enthusiasts with a passion for data and talking about the issues that the other podcasters aren't. Sadly, we have no affiliation whatsoever with the Cornish Pirates. We model ourselves more like the pirate radio stations from the 70s, broadcasting rugby content that others aren't talking about. For example, did you know that Fiji, Tonga, Japan, Samoa, Uruguay, Chile, Namibia and an Argentinian 15 all played international games this weekend? Or that the Scottish rugby kicked off its first ever summer super series? Most of these games weren't shown by broadcasters in the UK or Ireland, and many of the major rugby outlets barely even covered them. However, that's where we come in. We are committed to bringing you all things tier two rugby, women's rugby, domestic competitions around the world that you may never have even heard about. If you've never heard of it, we'll talk about it. We will, of course, uh, cover plenty of tier one rugby. We will talk about the big uh, news stories of the week. We'll talk about media rights and provide an overview of upcoming games and where people can watch them. Okay, so hopefully that's given people an idea of what kind of a show we're hoping to bring you here. So being a podcast, we obviously have bits and our first bit is our rugby moment of the week. So Ender, what was your moment watching rugby this weekend? There were so many, weren't there? But to be fair, for me, the the biggest moment, that my favourite moment was definitely Scott Barrett's tackle where he smashed take McDermott in half and set up the the score that was just that really just set the stall out for for New Zealand's performance I think and also you have to mention as well I'm sure people listening and yourself you've seen those clips of Barrett holding Nick White down and telling him to basically to shut up which is just absolutely brilliant I think he did it on two separate occasions once when he had him pinned down on the grounds and another uh clip that was shown when he was just standing up so yeah definitely the the moment of the week for me what about you? That's what you want. That's one what you want from your second row, isn't it? You don't often see people getting smashed on their own trial line and try given away. What a way yeah. to start a rugby match. My yeah. moment, look at who was on the bench as well, in terms of white lock, you know. So I think Barrett definitely justified his uh start. Absolutely. But yeah, Sam let's hear white yours. So my moment of the week is a bit different. My moment of the week is that seagull that was on the pitch uh during Scotland versus Italy, uh adding an extra number to Scotland's attack. If you watch the replay, he was a genuine option for the number ten. Uh, he was at the front of the pod uh, and he definitely got the crowds involved in a game that struggled to uh, to spark the imagination, I have to say. Um, but he was not the only bird involved in a rugby match this week. Anybody watching the under-20s trophy down in uh, Kenya, I believe it was, Nairobi, um, there was a stork in the crowd watching the game. So. Can you see, gone, Scotland, we see your seagull, we raise you a stork. I don't think Scotland had any reply for that. So here marks the end of Scottish rugby, can't even bring the best bird. That's you in a nutshell, Tobias. You were probably watching that game live when you saw that as well. I bet you didn't even see that first on Twitter as well. But you, you watch a commentator, commentator, the best. That was the best thing about the seagull as well, is the seagull was so engrossing that the commentator started commentating on it. 
the rope the, there was a rut going on over here and the seagull was over here and this commentator's going that seagull doesn't look very well and ever since that ever since he got stood on in that ruck i don't think he's been quite with it and he's like yes they're, they're scotland are lining up a shot of golf but just to bring you a seagull update and they <laughs> apparently the seagull got removed from the pitch underneath the towel so but you, all the best to the seagull i suppose yeah, I think you you certainly this week have picked uh yeah you set the stall up well with that rugby moment. I'm definitely regretting my Scott Bar choice now, but I think we'll move on to the the big rugby news of the week. So, uh, for you, I suppose news news just in. I'm sure you saw that the Ospreys are planning on. I think it's confirmed now that the Ospreys okay. are going to play a game in London, and I believe I also saw that season ticket holders are not going to obviously get the tickets for free they're going to get maybe a 50 percent discount have you looked into this at all or what are your thoughts yeah. on this so I've, I've seen it but um going around on the app for me known as twitter um so the understanding is so it's officially announced by the ospreys we're going to have a game in london um the, the location or the opposition for that game is not confirmed it's going to be a urc game uh and the rumor is that it's going to be against the sharks at the twickenham stoop um you're correct season ticket holders do not get in for free they get the story at the moment is a reduced cost the ospreys are going with a story of the season ticket still gets you into our pre-season friendly against cardiff which hasn't gone down very well with the fans on social media um it's not a like-for-like replacement so there's been a lot of reaction to this as obviously you would expect um my point of view, uh, as a non-going match-going fan for the Welsh regions, uh, I live in the Midlands in um, England. I can't get to matches very often, so I'm always excited um, when they play matches closer to me. Um, which is why I was so annoyed when the Scarlets didn't get Gloucester in the Challenge Cup because I could. That was a relatively short journey for me. Um, so I have sympathy, and they, you know I. I believe and I know that there are fans of these teams who don't live locally to the teams. And so, we'll, especially in a, one of the most densely populated cities in the world in London, will be excited for it. I also know that the URC have been very open in the past about discussing wanting to put games on in London. Um, I watched a podcast a few years ago where the CEO of the URC um, joked there's more Stormers fans in London than there are Saracens fans um no that's a bit of a low bar uh, but um so it's true so I think it's something that's been in the works for a while so I think it will be a South African opposition um the interesting thing is you know people talking about you know we can debate that should a club stage a game in a different country and that's a debate that everyone's going to come on down on different sides of and I completely see the argument for no, you should stage all your games within at least the area that you're supposed to represent. Fine. I, I, if that's your point of view, I can't argue with it. Um, from the Ospreys' point of view financially, so the Ospreys don't own what was known as the Liberty, is now known as the Swansea.com Stadium. So they lease that. So from a financial point of view, there's probably not a ton of difference. There probably is a difference, not a huge difference, where they stage the game. Um, they obviously would get a cut, I assume, with the ticket prices. Harlequins would get a cut because um, it's their stadium. Um, 
but they wouldn't get any of the like the beer, the pies or anything like that, but they don't get that in Swansea anyway. Um, so yeah, so from an attendance point of view, I think joining the dots, um, this is mostly about South African fans, getting South African fans in more than it is about getting Welsh fans in. So to give you a bit of a perspective, um, the Stoops capacity is just less than 15,000, I believe. Um, Osprey's average attendance up until round 12 of the URC last season, according to the data that I've got, um, was just less than 6,000. So mm-hmm. it's say, if this game draws 6,000, 7,000, you could argue it was a success. It was worth doing because I think the Ospreys guys would have looked at the data and gone, we're not going to get that crowd in Swansea. What I will say about this, and I said this about some of the other fixture clashes, is again, Welsh rugby fans are being left to join the dots themselves. If the Ospreys had come out and said, we're doing this because we think we've got this opportunity and we think it's the right thing to do in this time of things aren't going well, we need to try something different, whatever it is, they just they come out and tell us and we can either take it or leave it. What they do, what Welsh rugby always does, it's not just an Ospreys thing, is they'll go, this is happening, and then zip, nothing else. And then fans are left to join the dots themselves, and which is why on Twitter at the moment you see a lot of people saying a lot of things. Um, and that that's how this is how the discontent starts. So yeah, and they need yeah. to start marketing this game as well. I mean, Leinster do a very good job of that. Like they play at least two fixtures, usually more, um, in the Aviva Stadium, and they always market those games very very early on, and they always get. 40 plus maybe 35 for some games but it's usually 40,000 plus in those games and that's because they have time to to really drive their marketing um, and, and fans expect it so that, that's a really interesting point and, and it does make sense I guess on the massive South African uh, diaspora in, in, in London as well so it'll be interesting to see the attendance there and it's interesting isn't it really with the the premiership fixture being on in Wales as well it's just a reversal it's, it's, it's an odd scenario but it's something different I mean so Welsh rugby is in a hole so uh, it's nice to the Ospreys trying something different, um, so hopefully it works out. So uh, are we in Conspiracy Corner? Uh, so the English are putting on a game in Cardiff and the Welsh are putting on a game in London. What does that mean? You know, neither neither um, union is doing very well. Is this toes in water? We'll see. <laughs> You'll have the tin hat on next podcast. That's what I bring. Uh, <laughs> Uh, moving on then, I suppose, to the other kind of big rugby news of the week, uh, of the weekend, really. We had the rugby championship, obviously. Are New Zealand fully back, in your opinion? I think so. I think you, when you saw them against, yeah, we were all shocked um, of what they did to South Africa in those first 20 minutes. Unbelievable. And I think against Australia, Australia weren't a great opposition for them, but they were really in their comfort zone, especially in the last 20 minutes. They were playing the kind of rugby they've been playing in Super Rugby all season. They really had their mojo back. And I, I felt, you know, a lot of people have said about all oh, the positives to take for Australia from that game. I feel like New Zealand were always in their comfort zone for every minute of that game. And um, unfortunately, because I was enjoying their downfall, um, they are, in my opinion, back. I agree. I absolutely think they are. We, we, you and I have discussed this in private. Joe Schmitz uh, is all over this team. You can see his fingerprints all over the yeah. the performances to date. 
And it really kind of moves us on to Australia, doesn't it? It it just makes the whole it's easy to just go Eddie bashing and say how oh, how poor Australia have been and they have. But to me, this is on Rugby Australia as well. Like the, the decision I think to to get rid of Rennie this close to the World Cup cycle. Like it makes sense maybe to replace him after the World Cup, depending on the performance. Hmm. But to throw Eddie in before with basically I think five competitive games to me was just absolutely crazy and I believe they'll go into the World Cup with, with five losses out of five. Uh, I think that's yeah, a distinct so, possibility. So you got New Zealand again this week, and then you got France again away um, before the World Cup. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, what, do you want to schedule the midweek against Ireland in Dublin? Maybe you know. Um, yeah, I think as crazy as people said it was for England to sack Eddie Jones this close to a World Cup, it was even crazier for Australia to appoint him. I think. Um, if you if you do believe the Eddie Jones uh, grand plan theories, um, the grand plan uh, takes years to do, not weeks. Um, it was a hail mary from Rugby Australia massively, in my opinion. And they, like I said, people are trying to take positives from the game. Um, I, I can't take any positives from us for Australia from any of the games in this rugby championship. Um, They've gone from one of the most feared teams um, in rugby union to comfortably the worst team in the rugby championship in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, nice. And I think I think is there much just like we can discuss this the Springboks game, but I know we want to get onto our tier two piece as well. But the real standout moment, I guess, that we have to address is the incident with Williams. Uh, news broke today, obviously, that um, the player has been cited, the Argentinian player. I don't think anybody's too surprised. Mm. My opinion on this is that I can I can absolutely see where Brace was coming from. It was a rugby in- incident. He did block down the ball. But then I can absolutely see the other side of the coin where he was potentially being reckless. And you do have a responsibility when you're on the field not to do something like that. So it'll be really interesting now to see what type of ban he gets, if he gets a ban. Would he plead guilty? All these all these factors will come into it. So it'll be extremely interesting to see that. What flavor biscuits will he bring to the hearing, et cetera? Et cetera. Exactly. Um, so what's interesting is is he's been cited under law 9.11. So dangerous play. Uh, players must not do anything that is reckless or dangerous to others, including leading with the elbow or forearm or jumping, or jumping into or over a tackler. So two things those law those that law mentions leading with the elbow and jumping into a tackle. The Argentinian player did neither of those. So the thing that I think, and I agree with you, and the, um, the thing that Brace has seen is that the charge down was successful. Um, and it's legal to jump to do a charge down. So from my point of view, um, the Argentinian hasn't broken any laws in, in the action that he's taken on the pitch. What we have seen, though, in rugby union um, is that they punish outcomes, not actions. So a classic case would be taking out someone in the air. When we see a penalty given for taking out someone in the air, the sanction is decided by how the player lands. The player who has committed the foul play, taking the player out of the air, has no control over how the player lands, broadly, You know, unless they've gone, I reckon if I hit him like that, he'll land on his shoulder. You know, I, They haven't done that. So there is precedent in rugby for punishing the outcome, not the action. So maybe that's what they've done. That law is vague. You know, they say that's what what's made them laws and not rules in rugby is that there is interpretation. So I think they could swing the argument um, 
that he should be banned. There was a horrible, horrible incident. It was, it's one of those things that when you're watching live and you think, cut the camera away, don't need to be seeing this. Yeah, I can only think what it was like for his friends and family watching it on TV. Must be, must be awful. Um, his first cap as well. Um, or his first, was his first start or first cap? His first start. start. Right. Okay. And he thoroughly deserved that start as well. So it's really, really unfortunate in Williams. And it was great to see those images of him sitting up. Um, yeah. You know, in the second half. So wish him all the best. It still baffles me. I saw a press release this week that said he could be back playing in two weeks. I think that's absolutely just crazy. That needs to be addressed. But that, that's a conversation for another day. Um, but just really disappointing for him, obviously. But it'll be fascinating following that whole story uh, and seeing what's next, really. And and moving on then, I guess, to, to Scotland and Italy. I didn't catch much of this game, to be honest. But with my Irish cap on, I was fascinated to see how Van Healy got on. Checked after the game. <laughs> he was player of the match. No surprise. Uh, he he kept finest. Joey Carberry out of the Munster team. So, yeah. I mean, fair play to the guy, you know. He kicked a penalty against the Scarlets a couple of years ago from about, I don't know, the game was in from Earthly, he's kicked it from about Blackwood or something, and it's gone over. Um, yeah, he, he got men of the match basically for doing spiral bombs. <laughs> he uh, he would stand at his own 22, he would line up a spiral bomb, smack it, and it would go to the other 22, and that got him man of the match. It was it's pre it's pre World Cup warm ups. They're never good games to watch. They're never exciting. It's always experimental teams playing half of their playbook, if that. So yeah, and also I didn't catch very much of it because it clashed with the rugby championship game, which was crazy. I don't know how they managed to do that. Guys, check the TV guide. They need to follow you on Twitter, mate, along with twelve hundred other people, and go. Oh, hang on. There's South Africa versus Argentina going on at the same time. Maybe we'll start an hour early. But no, no, two different matches on two different broadcasters at the same time. That's the, the next big story of the last couple of weeks has been via play, um, you know, kind of with a left field decision to, to pull out of the UK. Mm. It's left a lot of us kind of in limbo. They're like, they signed a four-year agreement, so there are two years through that now. So there are two years left in that agreement to, to broadcast every single URC game in the UK. It seems at the moment that they're going to carry on broadcasting. They're looking to sell. They are looking. They're certainly looking to pull out of the market out of the UK. That's what we know for sure. Yeah, we, we should. But say I mean, they're still that, selling passes. Should say for people who aren't familiar with yourself, Ender, that broadcasting is your thing. So you you run the Rugby TV Guide Twitter account. Um, which is a great service. Everyone should jump on and follow it. Um, so, yeah, so you you kind of follow these things quite closely. So your understanding then is that they have an obligation to fulfil the contract. That's correct, yeah. Um, so they're not going anywhere. They're not going to pull out before this season, but I'm sure there are discussions going on behind the scenes in terms of whether or not they could sell on the rights to another party, whether or not they could partner with somebody else. It all kind of remains to be seen. It is indeed, yep. So so there there are a couple of options, really. But the ultimate goal is to to pull out. But they're not just pulling out without fulfilling their obligations. But from reading between the lines and from what everything I've read so far, it looks like they they won't be here beyond the the coming season. Potentially, they could be gone midway through this coming season if they can get somebody else to come in. The URC does also have that backup in terms of URC TV. I mean, 
The service is active in certain territories around the world. It's actually active in the Republic of Ireland, even though Premier Sports have the rights here as well, and RTE and TG Car to, to certain games. So the ORC always has that in their back pocket as well, but I'm sure they want to keep it on, on broadcast television as well. Like that is important. I mean, we, we all know that sports broadcasting is, you know, arguably going towards streaming, but the, the traditional linear broadcasters are absolutely hanging in there. I mean, if you look at the NFL and those 10 year contracts that they've signed, they're not going exclusively streaming. Uh, traditional broadcasts are here to stay for the foreseeable future. So We'll see what's come back. Nothing. What's really interesting is that the URC haven't come out with a press release. Neither have Fireplay. There hasn't really been much, especially in terms of what's happening with the URC. A lot of this is is speculation. So we'll wait and see. But by all means, I think come next season there will be definitely be a new broadcaster in the UK anyway. Um, but more we'll watch this space and we'll provide regular updates um throughout the next couple of uh, months and, and next season. So moving on then to our next section, I know this is one you're probably really excited about and um, you're going to do a deep dive. You're going to look at the wonderful world of rugby kits and, and tell people a little bit more about them. So Hugh, give me an overview of what you've discovered in your deep dive into this. So, yeah, so anybody who follows me on Twitter has seen me tweeting endlessly and doing some quite long in-depth threads about rugby kits. It all started from um, a couple of months ago when Munster released that amazing um, new retro kits that they got kind of Murray to model and everything. Uh, it blew everyone's minds. I'll see if I can find it. Hang on. I'll keep talking while I Google. Um, I couldn't find it the other day. Um, so they launched this and I retweeted it and I said, this is amazing. I love it so much. Uh, I wish um, Welsh rugby um, regions did the same thing. Or I might have used slightly fruitier language than that. But that's basically the gist of what I was saying. Here we go. So this isn't the actual one. The actual one is made by Adidas, but this is broadly what it looks like. Give me a second. I'm going to share my screen. There you go. You see that? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is a knockoff version, but this is broadly what it looks like. Um, so I said, why don't Welsh rugby clubs do this kind of thing? So if I give you a uh, another example. So this is Cardiff's rugby um, merch. Um, I'm sorry for picking on you, Cardiff. I know you haven't got um, much going for you at the moment, um, but this is your merch for last season. As you can see, you can have a grey hoodie with a Cardiff badge on it, or you can have a Cardiff badge on a grey hoodie. Um, that's pretty much it. So I expressed that frustration um, via Twitter, and this tweet went a bit mad, and I got interaction not only from fans uh, agreeing with me but I got interaction from uh, people who worked at um, regions who wanted to explain to me why I may be a little bit off um, so I did that so I went into um, uh, basically an investigative mode and I spoke to fans I spoke to people who work at clubs I've just been speaking to players recently and I've spoken to a retailer as well to just try and get an idea of why some clubs, such as the Welsh regions, offer the limited options that they do, whereas other clubs, and I'm going to use Moana Pacifica for an example here, why Moana Pacifica are able to offer this kind of thing. So can you still can you still see this, mate? Absolutely. So this is Moana Pacifica's treasure trove of absolutely unbelievable rugby stash. Um, 
and I look upon this with great envy as a Welsh rugby fan, is Stade Francais. Um, I encourage anyone to go on the Stade Francais website if you need cheering up. Um, if if you want something that's pink and got Stade Francais written on it, say no more. You can literally get um, watches, you can get rulers, you can get pencil cases, you can get fanny packs, anything you want uh, with Stade Francais written on it. So that's kind of what I wanted to jump into. And so that has culminated in me being, I'm going to claim it until someone tells me otherwise, the world experts on rugby merchandising. <laughs> and on that as well, I do see that you do love to, to run your Twitter polls. Uh, has, has there been a clear, I know there are so many different suppliers out there. We've seen Leinster rather controversially, well, According to Twitter, certainly controversially, they they've they've haven't renewed their deal with Adidas. They've gone to Castor. Mm. We've all seen some hilarious mess ups and some hiccups that Castor have made. But according to your polls, which supplier is the most popular? Would you say like is there a clear winner here, or who do fans like which brand do fans really want to get behind uh, and support? So it's interesting, and I ran a bit of an experiment on Twitter. So I asked. Um, which people's favorite brands were and I gave people a choice between four I said uh Nike uh Adidas Canterbury or Macron so um and people voted for mostly Canterbury which is interesting because Canterbury currently don't supply very many teams in terms of international teams I think they supply Ireland and Japan and I think that's it whereas uh Macron currently are the biggest supplier in rugby. They supply well over 35 international teams. They will be the biggest supplier of kits at the World Cup. And then obviously Nike and Adidas are the big brands. They're the ones that everybody knows from other stuff as well. So Canterbury finished top by a long way and Nike, uh, sorry, Macron finished bottom. However, I ran another poll and I gave people a choice between uh, four rugby tops, specific rugby tops, uh, Portugal, uh, Ireland, uh, the All Blacks and the Springboks as this year's rugby kits. And Portugal's won. Portugal's kit is made by Macron. So there you go. So it's, it's very much a perception in people's heads. Whereas uh, the Irish kit came bottom. That's made by Canterbury, which everyone said was their favourite brand. So I think the whole Canterbury thing, and I'm pretty sure if I put cotton traders on there, they would have won. Um, it's a, it's a heritage thing. People think you think rugby jerseys, you think Canterbury and Cotton Traders. You might think Nike and Adidas for some other things, but it's kind of a prejudice that people have. Um, my opinion um, is that Nike do the nicest kits. I've got a big box of kits, so I I started collecting kits. So I'll just show you my collection. Hang on. You see. See wow. that? That's all. That's mostly rugby kits. It's, there's some football kits in there as well. Uh, this is my current favourite. Uh, so that's this is my Toulon top, retro Toulon top made by Nike. Um, it's not just the look of it; it's also the fit and the feel of the materials. I think that the the if we call them heritage brands like Nike and Adidas, the huge brands. They've obviously put a lot more R&D into these things. And um, I, for me, they're a bit more refined. 
Macron stuff is less defined. So I've done a lot of, of research on Macron. They are relatively new. Um, they started out as a importer in Italy of American brands like Nike and Adidas, uh, if they are American. Um, and they only started doing their own stuff this century. And they only started doing customers outside of Italy in 2005. And that was in football first. So they've really come in and make a big noise very quickly um, uh, in rugby. And they're now, they supply so many kits, they even supply referees. So if you go on World Rugby's website, they will say official partner Macron. Um, so yeah, so I think Macron stuff is yet to win people over. The common complaint you get from people is the sizing on Macron is very poor. Um, you normally have to go two sizes up to what you normally are. Is what I've heard from some people, more than one person. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of the brands that people people have their prejudices prejudices of what they like. But I think it's more really kit by kit, it's design by design. Yeah. South Africa have definitely for me nailed it out of the park with their with their mm. jersey for the upcoming World Cup. Also Fiji as usual, um, have an amazing kit. I'm, that bucket hat, I'm sure you've seen it do the rounds on Twitter as well. It looks absolutely fabulous. Only, yeah, only the flying Fijians, Fijians could pull I that have. off. But I'm glad that you made those two um, examples. I want to show you something. So uh, sharing again. So can you see that? So what I'm showing you now is uh, on a website called Rugby Stuff. Um, this is Nike's current rugby gear. You see that? Yeah, kind of indeed. Okay, so what you got here is the Fiji one that you referenced. Um, you got the Springbok one down here. Um, now there's a bucket hat here somewhere. Where is it? Oh, I can't find it. I've seen the bucket hat and it's there. What you've also got is Toulon's one here, and what you've also got uh, there's Toulouse's one. Um, there's a Racing ninety two one down here. Um, Nike have pulled a bit of a trick here. All of their jerseys are the same. You're thinking, Hugh, no, they're not. Yes, they are. So if I show you this one, look, here's the Fiji one. You can see a nice looking fitting top, uh, black ends to the uh, sleeves, got the black collar with a white button. Here is the Springbok one. This is the kids one, but it's not, it doesn't matter. It's the same. You can see nice fitting with colored sleeves, uh, a collar and a white button at the top. They show you uh, Rassing's one. Oh, there's two two Lons one. Nice fitting top, collar, ends on the sleeves, white button. Uh, Rassing 92, the same. So, you know, people like to throw uh, the accusation. Keep pressing that. People like to throw the accusation that the cheaper brands are. It's just like cookie cutter kits, right? Nike do it. Adidas do it. It's just that they do a nice kit and they nail it. And then they they use it. Macron, for example, do a lot more variants in their kit designs in terms of colors and sleeves and things than mm. Nike or Adidas. Um, it's just that Nike have hit a formula and they're sticking to it. And what are we looking at in terms of cost here? Like, is there a major difference from from the research that you've done between, say, a Springbok jersey made by Nike compared to an Irish jersey made by Canterbury? Like, or are they all kind of roughly? retailing at the same price obviously given there's a difference in in between ireland and the uk in terms of currency mm -hmm. and, and all that but what have, what have you noticed about that during your during your research 
most jerseys are between 70 and 80 pounds most international and most club ones some um unions or some customers have decided that they want to go above that so england's kit is currently retailing for uh, 115 120 pounds um which is made by umbro um ireland's kit i believe is 105 pounds in in gbp i'm not sure what it is in euros um south africa is an interesting one um if you buy it in pounds it's 70 80 pounds pretty much in line with everything else if you fly to south africa you can get it for about 40 quid because the south african rand it does not do very well so if you look i think in my research the cheapest kit i found was i want to say the stormers kit which you can get uh, if you go to south africa you can get it for the equivalent of about 30 quid um which is a, a replica jersey which is easily the cheapest one so it might be more financial i'm not a financial advisor i think you have to say that when you're on the internet but um if you wanted to get on a plane and buy a jersey from south africa itself it might be cheaper than actually buying it online in the uk well certainly the way things are going anyway i yeah. wouldn't be one bit surprised so really to round things up like do you think do you would you have a like your best world cup kit that you've seen so far i know we've touched on kind of the best or worst kit suppliers i mean for you yeah who's got the the best world cup kiss going in um to the 2023 world cup and yeah what are what are your thoughts yeah so um i would say it, i'm a, i'm i'm completely nike have got a grip on me at the moment i'd say it's either the spring box for argentina i'd probably go for argentina i think it's a really classy look um i think uh some of the macron stuff i know people are very fond of the italy and the portugal stuff um yeah i don't think canterbury have done very well with the islands of japan um, bits and I'm interested to see what the All Blacks jersey looks like on. So I think the, the jersey they've been wearing so far in the Rugby Championship hasn't been their World Cup jersey. It's been a pre one, and obviously the World Cup one got a bit of controversy because it had all of the leaves and things on. I'm interested to see what that looks like actually when players are wearing it. So yeah, um, for me, uh, number one is uh, Argentina. Great stuff. And I guess that moves us on. So to our to our new section, which is tier two roundup, and um, where we look at basically the results that you mightn't have even seen from the weekend. Um, so I don't know if you want to take us through the first few here, Hugh, and um, that that you've yeah. come across. So Pacific Nations Cup or whatever it's called, we can't. Some people are calling it just World Cup warm up games. We don't know if it's actually called the Pacific Nations cup this year it has been in the past essentially it's a tournament being played between japan uh fiji samoa and tonga um so uh watching it hasn't been easy i've had to find some creative ways of watching it um because it's not on tv here in the uk or ireland um but basically at the moment fiji are on a roll fiji have won their first two games against tonga and samoa quite easily um looking to take a bit of that fijian drua momentum into uh into the world cup japan uh were probably the better side in the first game against samoa which they lost um and then they beat uh tonga so and they look quite good in that tonga game they scored some nice tries they looked much more back to how they are they've been quite poor this world cup cycle japan have they haven't played very many games and when they have played games they've normally played france or new zealand so that doesn't help um but 
yeah so they're looking a bit more back to how they were um samoa uh and tonga are still very much gelling they're, they've gotten all their all blacks and australian players back with the new eligibility rules which we all love um but the teams aren't quite clicking yet they're playing some good stuff tonga beat australia a in a warm-up game um but it's it's taking a moment to catch fire uh, and then the last game i'll talk about uh, is uruguay beat chile um in what i assume was a thrilling game but i couldn't find a stream of it anywhere uh finished uh 26 25 to uruguay um uruguay were leading easily in the first half uh and then chile came storming back and it finished uh very much uh nail-biting time squeaky bum time for the uruguayans but i tell you what the uruguayans i reckon are going somewhere i think they're only on the up in uh, rugby at the moment i'm looking forward to watching them in the world cup yeah, I'm looking. It, it's and you touched on it briefly. Like it, it's a, it's incredibly frustrating this year not being able to watch these games live in the UK or Ireland. Previously, World Rugby would have shown a lot of these games on their website, but for whatever reason, they have decided to do it. They haven't decided mm. to do it this year. We don't know why. But thanks to Kenya Rugby's YouTube channel, we've ah. been able to watch the uh, Under Twenties Trophy. Um, so the second tier of the under-20s rugby, I mean, this has taken place for the last two weeks in Nairobi, Kenya, as you mentioned earlier. Um, it featured Hong Kong, USA, Zimbabwe, Kenya, Samoa, Uruguay, Spain and Scotland. In the final rounds, USA beat Hong Kong for seventh place, Zimbabwe beat Kenya, Kenya excuse me, for fifth, Scotland beat Samoa in the bronze playoff. And the big one, Spain beat Uruguay in an excellent final to secure promotion to the under-20s main championship next time round. Uh, and this is their first time in their history. I mean, what a moment uh, for Spain. I don't know if you've got a chance to watch any of the highlights or even watch that game live, Hugh, but that what a moment, I think, uh, for Spanish rugby. Yeah, f- phenomenal. I mean, Spain qualified uh, theoretically for the last two World Cups and obviously lost their place because of eligibility issues. Um, which is a shame, especially to get caught twice in a row for that. It's disappointing. But um, an epic game between Spain and Uruguay it was a proper test match, proper, like, nice rugby. You know, some of these games is a bit 7Z. Not that 7Z is bad, but it's not, like, you know, test match intensity that we come to see it. But this was, like, really high-quality rugby, I thought. Uh, I think both of these sides would have been well-deserving of a place in, in the under-20 championship proper. Um, all of the games up until this were quite one-sided. Um, so um, Zimbabwe smashed Kenya, USA smashed Hong Kong. Um, quite literally, they had a red card as well. Um, but yeah, Spain, um, it was very tight going into the last five minutes. And then Spain got a, a lovely up and under uh, court pass to the flanker. I think it was the number six um, who then ran in in the corner, secured the, secured the promotion. So massively excited to see Spain um, moving forward. And I think Uruguay like I said, would have been equally deserving of going up with them. Um, a real treat to watch. Great stuff. And then also there was, kicked off this again, was the Scottish Super 6. I believe that you watched the game on Friday night. There are two games essentially every weekend over the next couple of weekends that are going to be broadcast. One on Scottish Rugby's YouTube channel, and that will actually be broadcast in the UK as well as worldwide. So that's brilliant. And also some games, one per weekend, is also going to be broadcast on the BBC's iPlayer uh, for customers in the UK. But it'll also be simulcast on 
Scottish Rugby's YouTube channel as well. And I believe you watched the game on Friday night. Tell me about it. I did. I watched Harriet versus the Bears. So I'd never watched Super Six before. So this is a summer series they're doing, which I believe they've never done before. Um, you are right in saying that there are two games televised, but there are actually three games per weekend. There's a new team in it. So it's now the Super 7, I guess. Um, they haven't officially called it that. But um, so it's the new team is called um, Future 15 or Future XV, depending on how you read it, um, which I'm led to believe is essentially the Scottish Under-20s team. But it can't have been this weekend because the Scottish Under-20s was too busy beating Samoa. So I'm not quite sure. Um, how that worked. Um, but yeah, so I was very impressed by Harriet. Um, it's it's when you watch it on T on not TV, on YouTube, it is a bit it looks a bit like university rugby matches. Um, but I thought Harriet were very good. They're number 13. Um Shades of Jonathan Davis with the scrum caps called a couple of tries, very nice. I thought he was the player of the match for me. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting my fix from that because I love rugby on a Friday night. Um, sitting down on the sofa rather than going outside and talking to people, sit on the sofa on my own tanks, watch a rugby match. Um, and uh, yeah, um, like I say, Harriet's absolutely battered the Bears. Boromir Bears, I think they're called. Um, Super Six is definitely, or whatever it's called now, uh, something that we need to do a deep dive on in the future because reading the Wikipedia page, it's not short of a little controversy either, which we like. We'll certainly get into that on a on a later pod. And, and to be honest, it's great as well to see a game on the iPlayer because that's you know easily accessible for people, and also on YouTube mm-hmm. as well. Um, instead of just being on a on a web browser or whatnot, so that that's great uh, for that reason. And that I guess moves us on to the final section of the pod, which is basically going to be a feature that we're going to have every week discussing your TV guide for the upcoming fixtures, where you can watch games, what what competitions are being shown, who's playing who. And one competition that is kicking off next weekend is the National Provincial Championship. This is New Zealand's championship. Um, and Sky Sports have the rights to this as well. They're, it looks like they're going to broadcast up to two fixtures per weekend, quite similar to their Curry Cup coverage. Um, so, so is this, this it's the New Zealand version of the Curry Cup, essentially? Is that what this is? Exactly. Yeah, it's, their, it's their primary domestic competition. So it's the right. the next level up from this would be your super rugby sites. So cool. what's really interesting about the National Provincial Championship as well, or NPC, is that you'll see, you'll even see some All Blacks the odd weekend who who aren't playing for the super rugby sides who are looking for game time, coming back from major injuries. And um, I know Michael Bent is currently playing for Taranaki, who you know former Irish international, former Leinster player. So there are some really interesting players playing in in, in this championship. So, so it's going to be exciting to to watch these teams. And it's brilliant that we have coverage of it as well. Um, so this coming Friday uh, on Sky Sports Action at 8.35 in the morning for anyone who's going to be up. Um, they're going to be showing Taranaki v Counties Monacow. And also on Saturday morning at 8.35, Northland v Canterbury is going to be shown. And that's also on Sky Sports Action. So two games to look forward to there. Is that UK and Ireland? So that's the UK and Ireland, exactly. Um, so it'll be available on Sky Sports and obviously on now uh, Sky's screaming, streaming excuse me, service. Uh, what else is coming up next again? We have the Rugby Championship obviously ended this this past weekend, but we obviously do have the second Bledisloe game. 
unfortunately that game is going to be on at 3 30 saturday morning um so uh, and again that's going to be on sky sports action as well so for anybody who wants to get up early that that will be a yeah it'll be an interesting game certainly uh hopefully it's not as one-sided as the game in australia and um, so that's your saturday morning fix then the remember other guys game... sorry mate remember guys if you want to impress people on twitter you don't have to get up for the game you just have to watch the highlights before anybody else that's exactly it. And we're also going to have the second game between Argentina and the Springboks on Saturday evening. What else do we have coming up? That's pretty much it in terms of uh, your main fixtures for the weekend. The under-20s World Championship is over. And there are other international games on, warm-up games. But as we've mentioned previously in the pod, these games aren't being broadcast in Ireland or the UK, which is definitely disappointing. Um, however, we do actually have the other World Cup warm games that are on. So there are a number of games that Ireland are playing Italy and there are a couple of other fixtures on as well. If you're in the UK, you can watch all of these games on Amazon exclusively. And uh, if you're in the Republic of Ireland, you can watch the games not involving Ireland on Premier Sports or you could stream them on now. And if you're looking to watch just the Irish games, RTE will be broadcasting those games exclusively in the Republic of Ireland. And again, if you're in the UK, those games will be on Amazon. And just touching on Amazon as well, I know there's been a lot of chat, obviously, with, with Viaplay pulling out of the UK market. One of the reasons a lot of people are in favour of Amazon is because of the, the low cost and and everything that's associated with Amazon. They do do a very good job, I think, on, on broadcasting as well. But one issue that some people have is just the discoverability on Amazon. If you log in, to, like there were multiple people yeah, on Twitter who couldn't even find the game. Who couldn't find it? The uh, the Scotland and, so and Italian game. I found game. it okay. I don't know whether this was an uh, an island thing or, or not. Uh, at the top of the app, I, I have on my phone on the iOS app, uh, it has sport. So I clicked on sport, tapped on sport, and it was just there. It came up. Look, rugby match. So I was okay with it. But did other people not have that that ability? Yeah, other people just didn't realize that, or if they had the Amazon app on their TV, they just opened Amazon and mm. it was just buried in the in the content there. So it's not the yeah. first thing you see. So I, I cast um, from my phone. So I guess if people were searching on a smart TV, that that wasn't there. Yeah, God, but exactly, and that that's that's, a, that's one of the criticisms I think that that people have on Amazon, and and the reason why some leagues are potentially reluctant to go for Amazon is because of that discovery discoverability issue. But they are, in, of course, they're Amazon. They're they're in the uh, they do have a sports a specific sports app planned, um, and so that is in development at the moment, mm. which will hopefully improve the discoverability. But I thought that was an interesting piece that I saw over the weekend. A number of people were complaining about that. Um, and I think that is it in terms of rugby fixtures, unless I'm forgetting any. You? Well, the only thing for me on Saturday is that I won't be able to watch Wales versus England on TV because the current plan is that I'll be in the stadium. So oh, uh, very good. I'll live tweet and tell everybody what happens. I think we I'm all know what's going to happen. Actually, we don't all know what's going to We don't know what's going to happen. Who knows, to be honest? No, Who's I don't know. I top? wouldn't even speculate. I wouldn't back Wales to win, but I wouldn't back England to win either. Who's worse? Now, let's find out this Saturday live. <laughs> and so, look, if you want to find out more about the, this weekend's upcoming fixtures, you can follow me on Twitter at Rugby TV Guide. And, and look, I think that, that that's us, really. And thanks for tuning in, Hugh. 
where can people find out more about your your rugby kit analysis and, and fo- where can they follow you so you can find me at hugh griffin rugby on twitter uh h-u-w-g-r-i-f-f-i-n uh or you can follow this podcast on twitter uh the rug the pirate rugby pod uh just ask the pirate rugby pod it will come up uh we uh, will be sharing on our accounts all the links to everything so hopefully you can find it um yeah thank you for listening guys thank you for listening to number one it's only forwards from here let's do it guys sports social podcast network